Hello again. I'm Richard Figge, and this is For Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me this evening. Tonight's story is by the great 19th-century French novelist and storyteller Guy de Maupassant. He is considered one of the fathers of the modern short story, and he and Anton Chekhov have been called the greatest masters of the short story in world literature. He has a concise, clean style, and his delight in clever plotting made him a model for such 20th-century masters as O. Henry and William Somerset Maugham. Maugham wrote that when he was starting out as a writer, he used to copy out long sections of Maupassant's stories to work his way into the French author's astonishing craft and try to understand just how he did it. Here is a quite brief story by Guy de Maupassant called simply Moonlight. The Abbe Marignan, as soldier of the church, bore his fighting title well. He was a tall, thin priest, very fanatical, with an ecstatic but upright soul. All his beliefs were fixed, without ever wavering. He thought that he understood God thoroughly, that he penetrated his designs, his wishes, his intentions. When he promenaded with great strides in the garden of his little country parsonage, sometimes a question rose in his mind, Why did God make that? And, in fancy taking the place of God, he searched obstinately and nearly always found the reason. It is not he who would have murmured in a transport of pious humility, O Lord, thy ways are past finding out. He said to himself, I am the servant of God. I ought to know the reason of what he does, or to divine it if I do not. Everything in nature seemed to him created with an absolute and admirable logic. The wherefore and the because were always balanced. The dawns were made to render glad your waking, the days to ripen the harvests, the rains to water them, the evenings to prepare for sleeping, and the nights dark for sleep. Only did he hate women. He hated them instinctively. He often repeated the words of Christ, Woman, what have I to do with thee? And he added, One would almost say that God himself was ill-pleased with this particular work of his hands. She was the temptress who had ensnared the first man. He had often felt women's tenderness attach itself to him, and though he knew himself to be unassailable, he grew exasperated at that need of loving which quivered always in their hearts. God, to his mind, had only created woman to tempt man and to test him. She should not be approached without the cautions you would take near a trap. She was indeed just like a trap, with her arms extended and her lips open towards a man. He had some indulgence for nuns, rendered harmless by their vow. But he treated them harshly notwithstanding, because living at the bottom of their chained-up hearts he sensed this eternal tenderness which poured out to him although he was a priest. He was conscious of it, of that accursed tenderness in their docility, in the softness of their voices when they spoke to him, in their lowered eyes, and in the meekness of their tears when he reproved them roughly. And he shook his cassock on issuing from the doors of the convent, and he went off with long strides as though he had fled some danger. He had a niece who lived with her mother in a little house nearby. He was bent on making her a sister of charity. 
she was pretty and hair-brained and a great tease. When the abbe sermonized, she laughed. When he was angry at her, she kissed him vehemently, pressing him to her heart, while he would seek involuntarily to free himself from this embrace, which notwithstanding made him taste a certain sweet joy, awaking deep within him that sensation of fatherhood which slumbers in every man. Often he talked to her of God, of his God, walking beside her along the footpaths through the fields. She hardly listened, and looked at the sky, the grass, the flowers, with a joy of living which could be seen in her eyes. Sometimes she rushed forward to catch some flying creature, and bringing it back would cry, "'Look, my uncle, how pretty it is! I should like to kiss it!' And this necessity to kiss flies, or lilac berries, worried, irritated, and revolted the priest, who saw, even in that, the ineradicable tenderness which ever springs at the hearts of women. And now one day the sacristan's wife, who kept house for the Abbe Marignan, told him very cautiously that his niece had a lover. He experienced a dreadful emotion, and he stood choked with the soap all over his face, being in the act of shaving. When he found himself able to think and speak once more, he cried, "'It is not true!' You are lying, Melanie. But the peasant woman put her hand on her heart. May our Lord judge me if I am lying, Monsieur le Curé. I tell you she goes to him every evening as soon as your sister is in bed. They meet each other beside the river. You have only to go there between ten o'clock and midnight and see for yourself. He ceased scratching his chin, and he paced the room violently. When he tried to begin his shaving again, he cut himself three times. All day long he remained silent, swollen with anger. To his priestly zeal against the power of love was added the moral indignation of a father, a teacher, of a keeper of souls who had been deceived, robbed, tricked by a child. He had the choking sensation which parents feel when their daughter announces that she has chosen a husband without them and in spite of their advice. After his dinner he tried to read a little, but he could not settle. He grew angrier and angrier. When it struck ten he took his cane, a formidable club which he always carried when he had to go out at night to visit the sick. He clutched it in his solid countryman's fist and made threatening circles with it in the air. Then suddenly he brought it down upon a chair and smashed its back. He opened the door to go out, but stopped upon the threshold, surprised by the splendor of a wonderful moonlit night. Now since he was a man of poetic spirit, he felt himself suddenly distracted by the serene beauty of the moonlit night. In his garden, bathed with soft brilliance, his rows of slender fruit trees threw their slender shadows across his path while the huge honeysuckle on the wall exhaled such a powerful perfume it seemed to be the living breath of this clear summer night. He began to breathe deep, drinking the air as drunkards drink their wine, and he walked slowly, ravished, astounded, and almost forgetting his niece. As soon as he came into the open country he stopped to take in the whole plain 
inundated by this caressing radiance, drowned in the tender and languishing charm of the lovely night. Continually the frogs repeated their short metallic notes, and the distant nightingales mingled with the seduction of the moonlight, that fitful music which brings no thoughts but dreams, that light and vibrant melody which is composed for kisses. The abbe walked on, his courage failing he knew not why. He felt enfeebled and suddenly exhausted. He had a desire to rest, to pause, to praise God in all his works. Down there, following the bank of the river, wound a line of poplars. On and about the banks, wrapping all the watercourse with a kind of light, transparent cotton, was a fine mist, a white vapor, which the moon-rays crossed and silvered. The priest paused again, his soul shaken by a strong and growing emotion, and a doubt, a vague uneasiness, seized him. One of those questions which he sometimes put to himself occurred to him. Why had God done this? If the night is made for sleep, for unconscious, for forgetfulness of everything, why, then, make it fairer than the day, sweeter than the dawns and the sunsets? And this calm, seductive star, more poetic than the sun, shedding its quieter rays, perhaps designed to reveal things too shy, too mysterious for the light of common day. And, too, why was the most gifted of songsters not asleep like the rest? Why did he set himself to singing in the troubling dark? Why this half-veil over the world? Why this heartache, this stripping of the soul, this languor of the body? Why this parade of beauty, when man never sees it, for he is asleep? For whom was this sublime spectacle intended, this flood of poetry poured from heaven to earth? And the abbe did not understand at all. But now, along the edge of the field, appeared two shadows walking side by side under the arched roof of the trees in the glittering mist. The man was the taller, and had his arm about the woman's, and from time to time he kissed her on the forehead. Suddenly they gave life to the landscape which enveloped them like a divine frame made expressly for them. They seemed, these two, like one being, the being for whom this calm and silent night was made, and they came towards the priest, the answer, the living answer vouchsafed by his master to his question. He stood stock still, overwhelmed, with a beating heart, and he thought he saw something biblical in the scene before him, like the love of Ruth and Boaz, the fulfillment of the will of God in one of those noble stories in the holy book. Through his head began to run the canticles of the Song of Songs, the calls, the sighs, and the gusts of passion of that sublime poem which burns with love. And he said to himself, God has created such nights as this to transfigure the earthly loves of man. He withdrew before this enlaced couple, advancing arm in arm. It was his niece, of course. He wondered, if he had not been about to disobey God. For God must indeed permit love, since he provides for it 
a setting of such holy splendor. And he fled from the scene in a maze, almost ashamed, as if he had trespassed in a temple where he had no right to be found. You've been listening to Moonlight by Guy de Maupassant. As a footnote, it has been said that the French composer Claude Debussy wrote his famous piece, Claire de Lune, after having read this story. I'm Richard Figge, and this has been for Reading Out Loud. If you're enjoying this series, please tell your friends. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy. All the best. Thank you.